the tabernacle. Now, we said that we're not going to be looking at it in great depth for two reasons, probably wouldn't have time, and the second one, the more obvious one, is because we wouldn't be capable of doing it. But we're going to look at this house of God, and I thought we'd probably look at it from the viewpoint of sort of the average uh, Israelite, and then see in the tabernacle types of the Lord Jesus Christ, and learn more about our great high priest. We used to sing a hymn years ago, Oh, if with eyes defiled and dim we see the signs but see not him. Oh, may his love the scales displace and bid us view his lovely face. That's what we want to see Jesus in all these uh, types which are in the Old Testament. And we have a couple of slides which we, uh, our projectors here, Uh, which we looked at. That's just giving us an overall view of what the tabernacle in the wilderness must have looked like. It had these uh, curtains all the way around it. It was about 180 by 90 feet. And the gateway in here, then we had inside the the buildings. These uh, curtains were about 9 or 10 feet high and uh, then all inside was the main part of the tabernacle. We also had a little picture of what the the layout was, roughly. Here was the the various sides, uh, and Israel, when they encamped, they encamped all the way around. The the tabernacle was the center of the camp. It was the center of the whole object of worship within Israel and it should be the Lord Jesus Christ should be the center of our lives they camped there were three tribes along this side three along this side three along this side and three along that side there was a great order in scripture and a great order as to how the camp just got involved we have various people also within that encampment were responsible for certain items of furniture within the, when they moved the tablet. It was a whole movable thing. It had to be it was a prefab and it had to be easily moved. Because the Israelites, you know, they set up camp and they might have only been encamped once or twice, only for a matter of a day. And they get this up and they would probably have to erect it and then take it down very quickly and move on. And as they moved this whole tent and the surrounds had to be taken off and there were certain people within the tribes of Israel who were responsible for the boards, there were others who were responsible for the coverings, there were others responsible for all the holy things and it's like the church isn't it we said that within the church there are many people, God has given people different abilities, we all have our jobs to do and we had that little chorus work for Jesus ever day by day serve him ever falter never Christ obey yield him service loyal true there's a work for Jesus none but you can do they didn't overlap they all had their different jobs to do you came in the gate here and then you came to the the big uh, altar here of the burnt offering the labor where the priests used to wash before they went into the holy, holy places 
and then you went inside, there was the table of showbread, the golden candlestick, and the altar of incense. And then you moved into the Holy of Holies where there was the Ark of the Covenant. We look all about that at a later time, but it's just to give us a, a background to it. And so you had this general view of the camp. And one of the slides, which we didn't show last week, was one of the posts, one of the pillars. All around the, the uh, curtains were these pillars. And these pillars were set in a bronze base or a brass base, and they had a silver top with little silver hooks at each side, and then the curtains were attached. They, they were attaching the curtain that went around the whole enclosure. And if you look at chapter 27 and 17, you will have the description of these pillars. And all the pillars round about the court shall be filleted with silver, their hooks shall be of silver, and their sockets of brass. So they were in a socket on the ground, they had this silver top, and they had these silver hooks, and the curtains were attached to these. Now, there were also, further on, you'll see that there were also tent pegs which were mentioned. And these tent pegs were brass, is gone to 19, and all the vessels of the tabernacle, and all the service thereof, and all the pins thereof, and all the pins of the court shall be of brass. And there was a tent peg in the ground here, and there, it was attached apparently by silver. Silver, I suppose they were strips of silver which were attached to the peg inside and outside. On the outside of the, 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 the curtain and on the inside of the curtain, you had these uh, attachments to the tent pegs. The detail that is in the Bible in relation to the tabernacle is very, very detailed. Nothing was left to man's imagination. He had to do it, Moses had to do it in accordance with God's plan. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. There's no room, there was no room for man's invention in God's plan for the tabernacle. It was all laid down. Moses had seen the plan of it in heaven. And he had come down and God constantly reminds him and we are reminded in the in the verses to do with the tabernacle that God says, you know, do it according to the way I say. Moses did everything in accordance with the way God had instructed him. And there's no room for man's ideas in worship and doctrine of faith and the worship and faith of God within the church. It's an important thing. Even the little, I mean, I've said this before, even the little tent pegs, we are told, even these little hooks, they were described. God is a God of detail. And he's a God of order. We saw that the tribes went around in an orderly fashion. If we see disorder, if we see chaos within a church or within the body of Christ, look out, there's something wrong if there is disorder. 
Let's go back to the general view again, and you'll see what, we, what we've been talking about here. These little posts. These are all the posts. You see them all along there. And they have this strip going out to the peg there, and similarly, on the inside, there is the tent peg there. So, these posts, everything on them was important to keep the whole thing together as one entity which was pleasing to God. The white curtains, as we said last week, contrasted with the the rather grey and dark tents in which the children of Israel lived. The whiteness spoke of purity in contrast to man's uncleanness. When we look at the Lord, we see his sinlessness. In Hebrews 4.15 it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. The whiteness was in contrast to the dullness where people lived. Christ was sinless. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, he'll purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. He was pure. In John it says, in him was life. And in Colossians it says, you were dead. That's the difference between us and Christ. We were dead in sin. He was sinless. He was pure. He was holy. And these curtains, you know, kept people out. They couldn't even see over the top of them. They were about nine or ten feet high. People couldn't see. And it gave the feeling that God was unapproachable. And that's the way, really, in our sin, we cannot approach God. We cannot. God is a holy God. But you know, thank God, there's a gate. There was a gate in, the, in, in this. And the gate is here in the front. We have a, an enlargement of that. The gate was about 40 feet wide. Very, very wide. Because of our sins, God ought to say, stay away, stay away. But you know, he has provided a door, a gate into his presence. For all, for everybody. And that's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? All may come unto God. Let us look at the door which the Israelite can see. It is wide, as I say, about 40 feet wide. And God has provided a way into his presence, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. God wants people to be saved. He wants all men to be saved and to come 
into the knowledge of the truth. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Revelation 22:17. You know, it was a beautiful gate. It was made up of four colors and it was embroidered. Exodus 27 and verse 16 gives a description of the gate. And for the gate of the court shall be a hanging of twenty cubits of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen wrought with needlework and their pillars shall be four and their sockets four. This was going to be a very beautiful gate. There were four colors all intertwined and woven together. And we'll speak of those colors later on at another time. But for the moment, let's just realize this was a very beautiful gate. And the other thing was, and this is all very elementary stuff really, isn't it? But there was only one gate. There was only one gate. And there was only one door into God's presence. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. There's only one door, one gate into God's presence for the Israelite. He had to come, if he was going to, to come into the presence of God or to come into a relationship with God, he had to come through that door. We want to come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus and with God. We have to come through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. You know, we saw in our study of Noah that God shut the door which secured Noah's salvation. We saw that. But it also kept those who did not accept God's message through Noah, it kept them out. We used to sing that chorus, I'm sure you... You used to sing it as well. One door and only one, but yet the sides are two. The inside, the outside, but which side are you? One door and only one, but yet the sides are two. I'm on the inside. And which side are you? It's very true. But this was a, a, a lesson we can get from this little, a simple lesson, but it's a very true lesson and a very important lesson. That there was only one door into the presence of God. And there's only one door. And if you listen to all the politicians and things nowadays, we find, that, and the churches sadly, that there are more than one way, that there is one more than one way to God. Let us move and see what is happening in the camp. Now we said we'd look at it with the light of, of the Israelites. And look, someone is coming. Someone is coming and he's moving through the camp you can imagine it and it's a man and he's coming along and he has a, a, a sheep tethered on a rope and he comes along and he walks along he comes from the, this side and he walks along here past all these posts and the bright whiteness of the linen glaring in the, in the brightness of the sun He's, he's, he's worried looking 
he, he's concerned looking and he has this sheep in tow I wonder what thoughts are going through this man's head as he walks along here why is he coming he knows all about the holiness of God he's been to Sinai he's seen the, the, the thunder and the lightning and the smoke and the earthquake and the, the fire of Sinai he knows that God is holy and he knows also that he has sinned against this holy God he knows that sin separates him from God he walks down and he turns the corner and he sees the gate the whiteness of the curtains may, may make him think of, of the holiness of the God inside this, this, this surround and as he comes along he's met by a priest perhaps and the priest says why have you come why are you here and he says I've sinned I've sinned and God must punish sin I realize that and this was happening all the time this, this people were coming with their animals and they would be met by the priest the priest would say something like you've come to the right place God has prepared a place for you. In fact, He's prepared this whole thing for people like you. Come on. And He brings them in, in here. And the man sees right in front of him the brazen altar. And it must have been an awesome sight for this man to see. this altar burning continually burning never went out the fire in this altar never was extinguished look at Exodus, Exodus 27 gives a description of what the altar looked like and thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood five cubits long and five cubits broad square we look at it that later on another week the altar shall be four square and the height shall be three cubits and thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof the four corners projected up a little bit and his horn shall be of the same and thou shalt overlay it with brass it was made of wood but it was overlaid with brass and apparently they have found a door which has been made in this and they've done fire tests on it and it is completely fireproof it seems strange that the the inner core was wood but it was completely surrounded by bronze or brass and they had pans and ashes and shovels and flesh hooks to it. a whole lot of accoutrements involved and it was it was mobile they had these uh, rods through it which were able to carry it around there it is in verse 6 and they shall make staves for the altar staves of shittim wood and overlay them with brass and the staves shall be put into the rings and the staves shall be upon the two sides of the altar to bear it so there was a very detailed description of what this was going to be like and it's interesting you see these, this mound of earth because it stood up quite high do you notice on this side it's sloping down and that was in accordance with scripture they, they were not to have steps leading up to an altar they had to have a ramp leading up to it 
it was all to do with modesty. But well, we'll look at that some other time. But this, this altar, which was in the middle of the courtyard, was burning and burning and burning. Sacrifice after sacrifice was, altered, was offered on this altar. All pointing to the work of Christ at Calvary, where he suffered the burning wrath of God. Christ suffered the burning wrath of God at Calvary. All these sacrifices were offered continually, every day. The fire was constantly lit so that anybody could come and repent and offer a sacrifice any time. We can come into the presence of God any time, continually. It says, once in the end of the world he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. But the wonderful thing is, this was going on and on and on. As soon as man sinned in the garden, we saw a few weeks ago, as soon as man sinned in the garden, God had already a plan for man's sin so that man could be redeemed. We saw in Genesis 3.15, when man sinned, we saw that God said that the, the seed of the woman would come and he would be the one who would, Satan would bruise his heel, but he would tread on Satan. He would defeat Satan at Calvary. And you know, Abraham said to Isaac when they were going up the mountain, do you remember? And Isaac said, Father, we have the wood for the burnt offering, but where is the lamb? And Abraham said those prophetic words, God will provide himself a lamb. The priest turns to the Israelite that we're looking at here with the sheep on the tether. Have you brought that sheep for a sacrifice? Oh, yes. I knew that I should. But must, must the animal die? My children love this sheep been a family pet it has done no wrong why should the, this sheep have to die and the priest would turn and he'd say that's just the point isn't it a guilty person cannot take the place of another guilty person you have a death penalty hanging over you you must die or an innocent victim must die in your place that's why he brought the sheep what a picture of Christ the one who was sinless the only one who was sinless who became man the only man who was sinless to, could die in our place was one who was guiltless and then the priest told the man put your hand on the head of the lamb and thereby you're showing that you are guilty and the lamb is guiltless. God views it this way. Put your hand there. Your guilt is transferred to the lamb in type and the lamb will die and you will be freed. That's what the whole thing was a picture of. What Christ was going to do for you and for me at the cross of Calvary. So the lamb's blood was shed. Blood poured out onto the the sand of the desert. God had said, Leviticus 
chapter 4, verse 29 to 31. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering and slay the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering. This is what God had instructed. And the priest shall take the blood thereof with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar which were up here and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar and he shall take away all the fat thereof as the fat is taken away from off the sacrifice of peace offerings and the priest shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savour unto the Lord and the priest shall make an atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him isn't that wonderful the priest took the little lamb and he slayed the lamb and then it was put on the altar and the fire consumed it the Israelite leaves the place with peace in his heart because he has realized that God has forgiven him the sin which he has committed. And if we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and, as it were, put our hand on him, we see that our guilt has been transferred to him. And he bore the wrath and the fire of God's wrath on Calvary. And we go free. Everything to do with the tabernacle speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. But let's not get hung up too much on the, the tabernacle. We want to see Jesus. That's what we said at the start. If with eyes defiled and dim we see the signs but see not him, oh may the Lord the scales displace and bid us view his lovely face. That's what we want to see this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, the Israelites leaves. The sad thing, he'll be back. If we'd been there maybe a week later, or a month later, or even a few days later, that same man might have been coming back with another sheep. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away its stain. But Christ, the heavenly Lamb, takes all our guilt away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. You see, that's the way, that's how John, when he looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, that's how he was able to say, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. It was only then that he realized that this was the Lamb of God who was coming to bear the sin and punishment of the world. That man might have had to come back. And you know, the priests stood there daily offering quite often the same sacrifice over and over and over again. Continually. But you know in Peter, it says, For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Christ hath come 
to offer himself once and for all, Scripture says. He hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And we can see there's a progression here. The man has to realize that he needs to be forgiven. He has to come into the presence of God. He has to see there that the sacrifice has been made. And there's a progression here through into the holy place and on into the holy of holies. And if we come in simple faith, we have to come through the Lord Jesus Christ. We see, we have to realize that we need to, have, to come. We go through, through him into the presence of God. We see the sacrifice that has been made for us by him. And we realize that we are forgiven. And then we move further on into the presence of God in our Christian walk. We could say an awful lot more, but time has beaten us. We will look next week at the actual construction of the altar and then further on into the place where the priests used to wash. It's called the laver. It was a big uh, bronze where, uh, cauldron type of thing where they used to have to wash before they went on into the tabernacle itself. There's a whole lot here. The priest standing daily. You know, and then it says, when we look at it next week, the priest had to stand. But what happened when Christ went in with his sacrifice into the presence of God? He sat down. He sat down. He's finished. The priest's work was never finished. They never finished their work. They were always standing. There are no seats. You look around. Never mentioned in the description of the tabernacle is a seat. Out here in the courtyard, there were no seats. The priest had to stand all the time. Christ sat down when he offered his sacrifice. Oh, there's an awful lot more we could talk about this morning, but we'll, we'll look at it a bit more detail the rest of the uh, actual burnt offering and the actual altar next week but the main thing about all these things is let's see that they point us to the Lord Jesus Christ that we may worship him more and more because of what he has done the poor Israelite had to keep coming back and back the priest had to keep on offering the sacrifices again and again and again. But Christ has come. And he's offered that one sacrifice for sin forever. And is now seated, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high.